Colin Hamilton, commodity analyst at BML Capital Markets, joins us today to talk about the outlook for the broad commodities complex. Colin, it's not often we have you on the show. I believe last year we spoke. Well, you and I have never had the privilege of speaking, but last year you were on the show about a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a year ago at our, at our Global Meadows Mining Conference. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to finally being able to see you live. Uh, but for now, we're doing the conference virtually, so it's a, it's a privilege to be with you you know, over Zoom. Now, Colin, let's start by talking about the commodities and what you think has the best investment potential for this year, the remainder yeah, of the year, at least. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a strong period, of course, for commodities on the whole. Um, and of course, that's brought about this super cycle debate again. I'm not so much a big believer in that. I think you need a lot more duration for it to be a super cycle. But at the moment, we have a constrained supply side. We have very strong demand coming through. Now, metals led the way. We had gold, of course, rising last year. Industrial metals have followed. Now you're passing on a little bit to the oil and agricultural side. Um, China's tightening a little bit, and that makes you a little bit nervous about some of these industrial metals. So I think as we move into the second half of the year, where's the lag been? Battery raw materials, actually. At the battery side, we're seeing some very strong numbers coming through, and that helps things like nickel, cobalt, lithium. Equities have run a bit, but I do think the underlying commodities are, are looking pretty good. I also think the precious metals, they've, they've suffered recently. They'll hold up better than the industrial metals into the second half of the year. But obviously, I still think we have some momentum coming through on the energy and the agricultural side. They probably have a little bit more runway at the present time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you brought up a few subsectors. Let's start with the um, with the uh, battery metals now. Cobalt, lithium, you brought up. Is that the uh, electric vehicle play that you've mentioned? Yes, I think electric vehicles are... We're, we're in an upgrade cycle for electric vehicles. Actually, we've been downgrading numbers for the past two or three years. Partly that's in global auto sales downgrades. But now we're at the point where there's enough momentum starting to come through again. And mm -hmm. Some of the numbers coming out of China are phenomenal. We are talking, obviously, a low base, but uh, motor battery demand up over 300% year on year. So it's almost back to what we saw in 2017. In 2017, everyone wanted to be a cathode and precursor manufacturer and was coming into these commodity markets and trying to secure raw materials. But we're seeing exactly the same again as we head into 2021, with gigafactories popping up all over the world. There is that fear out there again about security of supply. And that will lead to, I think, a, a pretty strong pricing over the coming months uh, in lithium, in cobalt, and indeed nickel. Nickel has uh, has been up and down a little bit, but I still think it's underpinned by stainless steel and has a bit of a battery kicker uh, through the rest of the year. Okay. Colin, uh, walk me through the EV story with thesis. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that the growth of, ele of electric vehicles will inevitably lead to the growth of demand for these base metals. However, electric vehicles still only occupy a small portion of total vehicle market share across the world. When can we see a pickup in this? And is it too early to be buying into the EV space, you think? Now, of course, there are a lot of unknowns. And in metals mining, of course, we're used to things changing very slowly over time. And what we have here is a market where there's a whole range of forecasts out there, both in terms of EV sales, in terms of cathode makeup, uh, so in terms of what's actually going into the battery itself, in terms of battery size, a whole lot of unknowns, but it's definitely a growth area. And therefore, I mean, if we look at metals and mining as a whole, it's not really been a growth sector for the past little while. You can definitely start putting some growth multiples on, on equities in this area. 
Is it too early? Well, I think there's enough critical mass there that the thematic is certainly coming through. And actually, for once, it wasn't China leading the way over the past 12 months. It's been Europe. We've actually seen strong European sales. I'm sitting here in London. If I want to buy an EV, well, I'm going on a waiting list. So consumer demand is certainly coming through. It's small in terms of the grand scheme of things, but it's definitely a growth area. And when we're talking of growing off a, a, a small base, actually, for some of these commodities like lithium and cobalt, you can get into supply constraints pretty quickly. And that's definitely an area where I think there will be, there'll naturally be cycles in it. You will always get cycles in this type of um, early uh -huh. stage and use. But I definitely think there's some opportunities there because we are starting to need projects. And that's that's the key thing. That we will have to start developing new assets and bringing them to market over the coming years to meet that future demand that we now see coming through. So it is a long-term play is what you're saying. I think it's a, if we look at the hockey stick, the hockey stick kind of takes off in the middle of this decade. But even by 2025, we are looking at 10% of global water sales. That's coming from I mean, pretty much nothing three or four years ago. So it's a definitely a growth area, the wider decarbonization theme. And it's also important to note that because we're seeing uh, huge inflows into sustainably backed funds at the current time, running kind of three to four times the level that we saw in the last six months of last year, Mm -hmm. Well, they're all looking for places to put the money. So you're getting a, a distinct re-rating in these sectors at the moment. Okay. Let's talk about industrial metals now. I know in the early 2000s, the rise of China and the industrialization of China, if you will, was the dominant theme behind industrial metals. Is that still the dominant theme today? Uh, China is still, uh, still, if I sit in my seat and I say, well, what do I have to do? I have to get Chinese demand right. Yet Chinese demand right, you go a long way to getting industrial metals right. Uh, for the first time in history last year, China was more than 50% of demand for steel, for copper, for aluminium, for nickel, for zinc. Uh, so realistically, it is still China that, that leads the way. What I would say is with the wider energy transition thematic, with things like renewable energy and, and EVs, which we talked about before, which are global themes, well, we're looking for a lot more balanced demand side going forward. Met, industrial metals have basically flown on one engine for the past 20 years, very strong engine in, the, in terms of the China engine. But now what we're looking at going forward is a bit more balanced demand growth going forward. And you can make the case now that developed world demand is going to start to grow again with some of the infrastructure schemes that we're seeing come through. So in terms of industrial metals, we've benefited a lot from the restock. The global recovery that we've had has been a very metals intensive one over the past uh, six to nine months. I am a little bit nervous in the short term, purely because China's starting the tightening process. Having led everything through this cycle, we're at a point in the, now where China's just starting to normalize monetary policy and pulling back a little bit on fiscal spending, just because mm -hmm. they are running into inflation bottlenecks. And therefore, the rally we've had in industrial metals prices is way above the cost curve. I think we're coming towards the, the late innings of that. Okay. I'd like to just bring up something that happened in 2011 uh, with gold, and I'll tie it back into industrial metals. Sure. As we saw gold rise to a peak in 2011, a lot of semiconductor and electronics companies that use gold in their chips uh, began a process known as thrifting, whereby they reduced their input of gold in, and, and looked for substitutes in some cases. Could you see that happening with any of the industrial metals and, uh, and perhaps the EV metals that you mentioned, if prices do rise? Absolutely, yeah. I've, I've, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that commodity markets always self-solve and price always gets you there in the end. So when prices go up, naturally you look for, for alternatives. So 
you'll either encourage more supply or you'll destroy some demand. Um, in the industrial metals at the moment, we've got a very strong copper price. I always look at the copper to aluminum ratio because that's where you start to see uh, substitution coming through. They both can be used in electrical uh, conductivity. So you, uh, with that, I think we're at the point now for low voltage cabling, you could see a bit of a switch into the uh, the aluminum side. In terms of uh, semiconductors, it's a very interesting point you bring up. Of course, that is one of the bottlenecks we have in the world at the moment. One of the lesser thought about metals, tin. Uh, the tin market uh, benefits a lot from semiconductor spending. And actually, with the, the issues we have in Myanmar at the moment, which is a big tin supplier, and with strong demand side, and with a, an industry that's been frankly underinvested in for a number of years, that's been the best performing base metal, actually, uh, year to date. Uh, you, you're still seeing... Uh, gold's an interesting one in terms of that uh, ele electronic side. It, it often offers a pathway to the, the R&D for new technologies coming through. But eventually, just owing to cost, is drifted out. Silver is actually the natural beneficiary of that uh, quite often. And it's interesting, if we look at the silver market, obviously spending on the solar side is likely to grow. And while we're still thrifting silver, actually, out of solar panels, well, that's been more than offset by the increase in installation growth that we're seeing. Okay. Colin, I, I've heard from other analysts I've spoken to that the rise in base metals and other raw commodities has has contributed to inflation in our economy. And, and I can't help but wonder if this is a chicken and egg problem. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? So which comes first, the rise in base metals and raw commodity input prices or aggregate inflation as a whole? Which drives which? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I suppose the, the answer is we get the uh, very loose monetary policy coming through, which tends <laughs> to drive a, a lot of spending, which in turn drives, drives the bottlenecks and uh, which drives up base metal prices. These things are always uh, cyclical in their own way, but what you tend to find in the inflation indicators, actually, they tend to lag a little bit and uh, so metal prices will move up. Obviously, that gets passed through the OEM structures to the manufacturing chain. It doesn't hit the end consumer. And when it does, it hits it with a little bit of a buffer. Uh, so you, you are actually seeing some of the manufacturing industry absorb uh, the rise in, in metals in the short term. Many of them have hedged as well to try and offset some of the risk. But definitely, we're at the point where we're getting that inflation in the Chinese economy already. We could see producer price inflation print 6 7% growth over the coming months. And at that point, that's when you start to see as a bottlenecks appearing and you do see policy changing a little bit. So that will come through in the emerging market side first. In the developed world, I think we still have a, a little bit of a runway, which is why things like US steel prices, for example, are doing so well at present. Colin, do you think base metals are a better hedge against inflation than precious metals? It's a theory that I've heard from some people I've spoken to. It, uh, both of them have uh, elements to them. Base metals tend to do well um, to benefit from the early stages of inflationary cycle. Whereas in terms of a hedge against inflation, uh, typically precious metals are still where people look to. Now, what do you find is uh, there's more investment options available now, which is why in the old days, it was purely a precious metal uh, option. Now, now, you can get exposure to base metals in different ways, but I would still say that there's good value in precious metals in a, a long-term hedge against inflation. Okay. Now that's perfect segue into the precious metals now. Gold and silver have not been performing well relative to some other metals in the commodity space. Tell us why. Yeah. Um, your marginal buyer of gold and silver in any given day is a macro asset allocator who has been nervous of the, the rising yields that we're seeing. And with that, there's been a little bit of rotation away. So we've seen these steady ETF outflows from gold, and that has weighed on the gold price. 
Uh, it's interesting. I mean, if we think about it, it's a complete flip in terms of gold demand from last year. Last year, we had very strong ETFs. Uh, we had at the start of the year pretty strong central bank demand as well, but jewellery was very weak under the, the COVID scenario. That's flipped around now. Uh, jewellery is extremely strong, but ETF is seeing outflows, and that is the bigger impact on price formation on any given day. I would say that the gold price we're at, at the moment is still a very good gold price by historical terms. It's still one where you'll see a lot of the gold producers generate a lot of cash, and the question is still going to be what do they do with it? But where gold goes... Silver tends to follow. Now, obviously, we, we've seen some adventures in silver market this year on the whole. Um, but if I look at it, silver still looks to a situation where mine supply is struggling a little bit. And I can make a case for good industrial and if you want infrastructure demand over the coming years. Okay. Now, I, I, think, um, I think what investors would like to know is how to tie everything together, how to pick winners for themselves. What are some of the macro variables you're looking at, the changes in the economy, so to speak, that would indicate to you, oh, right now steel's a buy, or nickel's a buy, or tin, or gold's going to recover? What happens in the world that drives these prices, Colin? Sure. Well, on the macro side, realistically, I look to China first, and I'll be looking at the, the numbers coming through there, particularly in terms of things like housing starts. They're going to be key for industrial metals and iron ore. I think they lead the cycle, and I think that if we're starting to see a bit of weakness coming through there, that's when you maybe start taking a little bit of money off the industrial side and, and switching it into the precious. And the precious side, like it's a sign that really that global monetary policy is easing. And at the moment, I still think it's going to remain very loose. Though obviously, we are looking at things like the FOMC meeting and changes to expectations in the dot plot uh, for how that will work with gold. I still think the gold market trades extremely well with the inverse of real yields. So that to me, while nominal yields have gone up, real yields have remained negative. And that, I think, will keep a, a bit of exposure in the gold market overall. Um, they're the things I watch for, but I really am looking for bottlenecks. As a commodity analyst, you look for bottlenecks in the chain. Just in the short term, inventories are very low in the manufacturing chain for steel in particular. U.S. steel prices may have a little bit more duration at these exceptionally high levels at the moment than the market thinks. And that, that can lead to some good cyclical returns. And finally, you started by talking about super cycles. You said you don't really subscribe to that theory uh, of everything climbing up together. Well, can, can something outperform the other then? Uh, absolutely. And uh, different, uh, diff at the end of the day, fundamentals always drive commodity prices and always drive that commodity price differential. So if we're looking for a situation where constrained supply, strong demand growth, things will do well. And to me, uh, although I'm, I'm not a believer in the super cycle, I am a believer that we're in a metals intensive part of the cycle at the current time. And I would also highlight in terms of returns from the metals and mining industry as a whole, uh, the cash generation at the producer level, and this could be a record year. So there's a lot of cash allocation potential coming back to shareholders in a number Sorry. of these industries. Record year for what exactly, Colin? It's a record year for, for cash generation uh, at the metals and mining level. Certainly in terms of sustainable through the cycle. We, we did see a couple of peaks before, of course, 2008 and 2011. But I think now if we look at it, the dividends that could be offered by these companies on a more sustainable basis and across some of the big commodities, iron ore, gold, copper, well, uh, that is a very interesting thing from an, an investor standpoint. All right. Colin, thank you very much for coming on the show. I hope to speak to you again soon and uh, we'll dive a little deeper on, uh, on some specific subtectors that we brought up. We went through the whole gamut today. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thank you for watching Kiko News. I'm David Lynn. Stay tuned for more.